Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today on the State of Ukraine, where the Republican candidates for president stand on the war in Ukraine. I'm Greg Dixon. During the first Republican presidential debate, we learned a lot about what the candidates think should be the U.S. role in Russia's war on Ukraine. Hear Vivek Ramaswamy, Ron DeSantis, and Chris Christie in the Fox News Channel debate. Mr. Ramaswamy, you would not support an increase of funding to Ukraine? I would not. And I think that this is disastrous that we are protecting against an invasion across somebody else's border. I will have Europe pull their weight. Uh, but right would, now, they're not doing that. Not if we don't stand up against this type of autocratic killing we in the world, we will be next. Former President Trump did not attend the debate. But in an interview with Tucker Carlson, Trump criticized President Biden's handling of the war. That's a war that should end immediately, not because of one side or the other, because hundreds of thousands of people are being killed. To understand what this disagreement could mean for the people fighting and supplying aid to the war, Ari Shapiro spoke with NPR's Brian Mann in Ukraine, just east of Kharkiv, and NPR Pentagon correspondent Tom Bowman in Washington, D.C. Tom, how concerned are the war's supporters that skepticism of U.S. aid to Ukraine seems to be growing? Well, right, Ari, we heard from that debate, there's a division within the Republican Party between internationalists like Nikki Haley, who support Ukraine and are concerned about Russian aggression spreading in the so-called American first wing, of course, led by former President Trump. There is concern among Ukraine backers that support could erode, especially on Capitol Hill. Republican Congressman Andy Harris, who, by the way, Ari, is co-chair of the Ukraine caucus, said recently the Ukrainian counteroffensive has failed, does not think Ukraine can win, and he's not sure he'll support more military aid. That has concerned Ukraine supporters like Congressman Adam Smith, the top Democrat on armed services. He told me they will have to work hard to shore up support in the coming months. Now, the U.S. already has provided uh, around $76 billion since the Russian invasion 18 months ago. That's out of $113 billion authorized by Congress. Now, the Biden administration, Ari, is seeking another $40 billion, most of that for military aid. And Brian, when you talk to people in Ukraine, how aware are they that there is not a consensus here in the U.S.? And what would it mean for them if the U.S. did cut aid or tried to force Ukraine to accept a peace deal that gave Russia part of the country? Yeah, all right, people here are watching this really closely, and, and they say uh, any big drawback by the U.S. would be devastating. You know, they've paid an enormous human price resisting Russia's invasion. Uh, also, civilian populations have suffered these very well-documented war crimes. But it's not only Ukrainians watching this debate in the U.S. You know, right now the U.S. leads a big coalition against Moscow, you know, countries like Bulgaria and Poland that are relying on Washington's leadership. If we pulled the plug in Ukraine, it would potentially unravel that coalition. Also important to point out that the U.S. isn't only countering Russia here in Ukraine. Russia's opposed U.S. interests for years in Africa, the Middle East, and in cyberspace. So, you know, giving Putin a win, as Ramaswamy described it, that would resonate well beyond the war zone where I am now. We've been hearing for months about what a struggle Ukraine's counteroffensive has been. Tom, could that 
failure to make quick, decisive advances on the battlefield further erode U.S. support? No, I think it could. And really from the beginning, Ari, there were doubts in the Pentagon about how much Ukraine could achieve in this counteroffensive by the fall. People I talked with suggested only modest gains. Now, the goal, of course, in in the South is to break the so-called land bridge between Russia and Crimea. That would be a huge achievement and isolate Crimea, Putin's big prize. But so far, the Ukrainians have been making some gains, but face three lines of Russian defenses that are formidable. Landmines are the big problem, tens of thousands of them. Now, the U.S. and Britain have told Ukraine, you're spreading your forces too thin along the front line, and you have to concentrate those troops for a big push, a big punch in the south, using the Western-trained troops to, again, break that land bridge. We'll see if they take that advice. And officials say time is of the essence, because when the fall comes, the rains come, and everything just slows down. Brian, you've been near the front lines. What do the Ukrainians tell you about how their counteroffensive is going? Yeah, they, they acknowledge that it's hard. I was with Ukraine's defense minister, Alexei Reznikov, this week, uh, and he, he said, yeah, things are slow. The Russians are actually on the offensive near where I'm at now. Russian troops attacking a Ukrainian city called Kupiansk, uh, triggering a new wave of refugees. Reznikov dismissed that battle as an effort to distract Ukraine and divert troops. It's also worth saying the Ukrainians, while they're struggling right now, they do continue to score small victories. Uh, In the last 24 hours, we saw an amphibious assault. Ukrainian officials say was carried out by their commandos in Russian-occupied Crimea. So while the big fight is grinding and costly, Ukrainians say they are still landing significant blows. And Tom, does that square with what you're hearing from military and other sources in the U.S.? Well, there were mixed messages again, but a Washington think tank is following all this closely, the Institute for the Study of War. They're pretty optimistic about the situation and believe the Ukrainians could soon threaten that second line of Russian defenses, the second of three. But again, we'll just have to see. Now, Congressman Adam Smith told me he's neither pessimistic nor optimistic about the counteroffensive. He said the Ukrainians have well-trained troops and this will all take a lot of time. But again, if there's little progress by late fall, it will only raise more questions about continued support, especially as a presidential campaign heats up. That is NPR's Brian Mann in Kharkiv, Ukraine, and Pentagon correspondent Tom Bowman here in the studio. Thank you both. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the State of Ukraine from NPR News. We'll see you again soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the NPR Wine Club. Get the world of wine delivered to your door. When you join the NPR Wine Club, you'll receive the stories behind every bottle and favorite NPR shows and personalities arriving in liquid form, like Weekend Edition Cabernet and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Zinfandel. The NPR Wine Club is a delicious way to support NPR's programming. If you're 21 or older, uncork a special offer at nprwineclub.org podcast. Support for NPR and the following message come from Bombas. Bombas makes absurdly soft socks, underwear, and t-shirts. And for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com NPR and use code NPR. Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.